The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, August 23rd. Today, we're broadcasting from the premises of a wonderful practice, Elementals Living in beautiful Delavan, Wisconsin, home of my dear friends and hosts, Dr. John and Betsy Hicks. I'm your program host, Terry Aranga, here with Jerry and Scott Williams. Jerry and Scott are the parents of two children with mitochondrial disease, specifically oxidative phosphorylation deficiency disorder. Jerry is a graduate of Lincolnland Community College of Nursing, and she worked as a cardiac and a geriatric nurse. Scott is a police officer for the Chatham Police Department. Our topic today, Thriving Beyond Expectations of Mitochondrial Myopathy and Autism with Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy. Welcome, Jerry and Scott. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Jerry and Scott, when were your children, Austin and Sydney, born? Austin is our oldest. He was born in 1999. And then our youngest, Sydney, was born in June of 2002. Okay, so they're three years apart. And let's talk about Austin first, Jerry. How was he for his first year? He was pretty, um, well, first to go back to pregnancies. Um, I actually had mild preeclampsia towards the very end of the pregnancy, um, ended up having him vaginal delivery, uncomplicated. Uh, that was the only mild complication they could, they had. He was born. His APGAR scores were six, seven, and nine, and he seemed to perk right up. He, uh, was a nice pink, healthy, round baby boy. He was eight pounds, 11 and a half ounces and 22 inches long. <laughs> so, you know, when he was born, he definitely was this healthy, round baby boy, and uh, he developed uh, on, ta- on time throughout his well-baby visits until about a year old. And then, that's then, what, happened. then what happened is we, uh, he lost, it was shortly after his first birthday that he started losing his speech, and he also lost his eye contact and he just seemed to withdraw from the world around him, and he just would sit in one spot and be content with the toys around him. So that's, that, um, and he would, you know, there were times where he would reach out and grab a toy, you know, but he pretty much was content, and what really drew me to uh, something may not quite be right is when we were, I go to a very large church, and he was in the nursery, and all these kids' babies were moving around, and he was perfectly content. Mm-hmm. He could just sit and play with the toys. 
Mm -hmm. So probably, I would say, about a year. That's when we've seen him regress. Okay, so when did you first receive some preliminary diagnosis? Wow, Terry. (laughs) I have to go back in hindsight because for a little while there I was in denial. I know that really probably sounds bad, but as a nurse, you think I would have been, like, right on it. But I went through about three months of denial with him. Um, my firstborn baby, there's nothing wrong with him type of thing. And uh, he uh, was probably, well, I started noticing something really wasn't right was at 16 months. And we started seeing that not only did he withdraw with his speech and he became very quiet, um, but he just wasn't at that point starting to develop. It's like he regressed and then he kind of stopped. So I was plateaued. working with, I'm sorry? Plateaued. He, yeah, he just kind of plateaued. And he was just there, and I thought, you know, something just isn't right. Again, I was at church, and I'd seen all these babies around him moving, and I thought, you know, something's not quite right with him. Why all of a sudden did we lose speech, eye contact, and just became very content and just plateaued, like you had said. And he regressed into this little world, and it was like, so what I did is I called in early intervention, and it's a program that uh, comes into your home or daycare facility, wherever your child may be, for children from zero to three years of age, and they come in and evaluate for services such as speech, OT, occupational therapy, and developmental therapy, those type of services. So, of course, they came in the home, and he was 16 months old, and they did an evaluation, and he was developing in some areas only three to six months old, and he was 16 months old. Mm-hmm. And... I remember feeling as a mom, because suddenly I had this pretty typical normal life, healthy baby, and all of a sudden I had therapies four hours a week mm. coming into my home and saying this is what he needs. At that time, they didn't mention autism. Mm-hmm. And I remember them, I, like I said, I went through that little bit of a denial, and I just wanted them all to get out of my house, and I wanted to go back to work and live my life. <laughs> but um, clinically, I knew better. So I... They were a wonderful group of therapists, couldn't ask for a better program for him. And we continued the services, and it was one of my therapists. She was a physical therapist, and she said, you know, you might want to get an eval for him um, from a psychologist that understands sensory issues and, and, you know, kind of, you know, neurodevelopmental issues, but didn't mention autism. And I'm really glad she did, and at the time, because I don't know how I would have reacted um, but she was wonderful. She sent me to uh, a neuropsych, and at 22 months, that's when he was diagnosed with autism. 22 months old. So you mentioned that you were already having some inter- early intervention services in your home. You mm-hmm. mentioned things like occupational therapy as one of the um, initial therapies that you tried. Were there some others uh, in addition to what you had mentioned after you got the diagnosis? It was the speech. Oh, physical therapy as well. I apologize. I think I left that one out. He had that as well. So he had speech services. He had occupational therapies, physical therapies, and developmental therapies. And they really were focusing on his sensory integration and strengthening, strengthening his muscles to get him to walk. Right. And, you know, Jerry, I don't, you know, I don't think you should at all, you know, have been kicking yourself about, you know, what you termed as denial. First of all, you know, just precisely, you know, medical pr- practitioners have been socialized or at least tell us, you know, they're 
the boy's a late talker or mm-hmm. things like that. So we're kind of socialized to believe, you know, everything's all right, everything's going to be all right. Um, boys, you know, develop more slowly from girls and things like that. So, um, Very true. And at the time, the pediatrician thought he would caught up, catch up, excuse me, that's what she said, because I think he will catch up when we started those services. So you're absolutely right. But intuitively, I knew better. I knew something wasn't right, regardless of what the pediatrician at the time was saying. And so, I, but I definitely appreciate, I definitely appreciate that, because at that time, that's what I needed to cope. And so once I got past that, it was like, look out. <laughs> Let's do something about this. <laughs> and are you saying that your local doctors didn't have a handle, really, as to what was going on? Not at all. They gave me a diagnosis, and I was on my own. Mm. And as after 22 months old, Austin began to develop medical issues as well. Um, he eventually developed esophagitis, esophagitis, and... In getting that diagnosis, it took me four pediatric GIs, which those are gastroenterologists are physicians that specialize in digestive disorders in children. Austin was failure to thrive and had watery, grainy stools, sometimes five to six times a day, and I could barely get him to eat. He was very pale. He just looked like he was wasted away. Mm-hmm. He reminded me of a child in a third-world country that doesn't get the proper nutrition they need. He just really looks that bad, and it took me two years of him failure to thrive and four gastroenterologists later mm-hmm. to get the diagnosis of esophagitis, esophagitis, which is when kids ingest certain food proteins, their esophagus becomes inflamed and very painful, and they stop eating. Mm-hmm. That's in neurotypical kids. Well, we, he had autism, so it just compounded his sensory issues. He never felt well. And what was happening, it was because they would see autism and they were umbrella everything that was going on with him under the word autism. Well, that's what kids with autism do. And I was seeing a feeding team. I was doing everything that I knew to do. Mm-hmm. And it still wasn't solving it. And, again, thank God for maternal intuition because mm-hmm. I just kept saying, autism I know now is medical. With my son, I know there's different subsets of autism, but I know that it's medical. And I'm so glad that I continue that attitude because that's what I found out. And as soon as we eliminated food proteins and started a gluten-casing-free, soy-free, this really healthy, clean, non-toxic diet, that's when he started having formed stools. Um, he gained four pounds in a month, and it saved that little guy from having a tube feeding. It was amazing. Um, and eventually, talking about his health issues, we did, you know, later on down the road, develop a seizure disorder as well with him. Well, so, you've described a lot of different symptoms, Jerry. Was his belly actually also bloated? You were talking about the, the children in Africa who, you know, look like they have kawashi or core. Was his belly actually bloated? Yes, ma'am. So he had a bloated, bloated belly, he had GI problems, he had eosinophilic esophagitis, failure to thrive, he was pale, he had hypotonia, he had a regression, um, sensory integration issues. And mm-hmm. and also, too, I want to add to that, Terry, um, I did finally get the scope that I did really needed him to have was the lower GI where they mm-hmm. look at the colon. Right. And they, the doctor told me at the time, he says, I can't explain it, but he has large 
lymphatic nodular hyperplasia throughout his large intestines. He says, and I don't know what that is. I just know that he has it. Some people, he said, have a little bit of it, but your son has it throughout the large intestines. And he said it shouldn't be that way. But at the time, he couldn't explain why. So why don't you let our listeners know what lymphonodular hyperplasia is? Nodular hyperplasia is, I, gosh, the best way to describe it is you have a lymphatic system. It's like a filtering system throughout your entire ba- body. And it filters uh, microorganisms and microorganisms being like uh, illnesses uh, that you take in and different things. It filters the blood. It keeps us nice and healthy. And you have that throughout the bowel as well. And what happened is that system throughout the bowel was enlarged and became inflamed. Mm-hmm. And it looked, and it literally looks like on scope because I have the photos of it, little tiny inflammation infiltrates all over the large intestines. Or little bumps. Yeah, like little dots. Okay. Thank I've, you, Scott. I've seen pictures of the insides of intestines, and it looks like there's a bunch of swollen, mountainous stuff covered in goo. Would that be, is that something you've seen too? Um, not so much the goo as much as I've seen the big mountains of nodules, big mountainous round dots throughout his large intestines. Okay. Well, we will pick up with talking about what brought all these symptoms together and how Jerry and Scott uh, brought their child, Austin, on the road forward to recovery and also his sister, Sydney, when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Scott and Jerry Williams, and we're talking about how they help their children remarkably uh, using hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and their children had mitochondrial myopathy, and their son, Austin, had autism. Let's talk for a minute about Sydney. So, Jerry, um, was Sydney also diagnosed with autism or developmental delays? You know, she was doing great. Um, she was a completely uncomplicated pregnancy. I mowed the grass with that child. I did everything. I felt very good throughout the whole entire pregnancy with her. She, too, was, um, now she went into a, uh, I spontaneously delivered her vaginally. I mean, four-hour delivery, she was here. Right round, baby girl came out just screaming. Her APGARs were like 8, 9, and 10. I mean, they just, or excuse me, 8, 9, and 9. They rarely give a 10. And uh, she just was thriving and doing phenomenal. It wasn't, um, I, excuse me, I back up. She did have to have a right eye tear duct surgery because her tear duct did not, it was plugged and it didn't drain the tears. So we had that done about two or three months. And then about six months, I started knowing her, started noticing her just develop tons of eczema around her neck. And I thought, hmm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to switch formulas to a soy base. And so I did intuitively. And I took her to an asthma allergist. The eczema cleared up right away, including the spit up. Oh my goodness. The child could, when she was on the milk based product, she really could spit up uh, and hit you from across the room. It was so bad. So, and the eczema. So I tried the soy base, like I said, and it immediately stopped. I took to an allergist because I was like, I want to make sure everything's clear. At that time, when they're only six months old, they can't do the skin testing. So they only did what's called a RAST, R-A-S-T, and it's a blood test. And the results came back. They immediately called me, and they said, good Lord. She goes, quote, unquote, good Lord, don't ever give her an egg. And I'm like, well, no, I would, I would never give her an egg. I mean, she's only six months old. She goes, well, her milk allergy came up back really high, but the egg is like triple what it should be. And I'm like, oh, wow. So she has some food allergies going on here. So, again, I kept her on the soy base. She seemed to be doing well for a while. And um, then she got to about 19 months old. She developed typically until about 19 months old. She just seemed a little delayed in her walking. And she developed some asthmatic symptoms as well. And I thought, you know, I was already so sensitive with everything I'd been through with Austin thus far that I just wanted to make sure my youngest one was okay. So I brought in early intervention, and they evaluated her, and she didn't have near the services as often but did have a few. She had physical therapy and speech therapy she qualified for, but she was quickly graduating out. So I had this little girl that had some asthma, allergies, and some mild delays but was catching up, but nothing that was red flagged or something wrong. It wasn't until she got into preschool and she graduated out of early intervention, excuse me, let me back up, at three years old, and she started going into the preschool and she was three and four years old, that we started noticing within that first year of preschool that she kept getting impetigo over and over, and it's an infection caused by a strep 
streptococcus that makes sores like around the nose and mouth area and they seep. And she just, we'd clear it up and she'd get it again, clear it up and she'd get it again. I'm like, huh, that's not, that's not typical. Usually you don't see the same infection over and over again. And shortly thereafter, she started getting pneumonias and in one circumstances, she was in three pneumonias in six months and excuse me, and two of those required hospitalizations. The first one, we almost lost her. She um, she almost died. Let's put it that way. Uh, she went in the first time and they to the hospital nearby and St. John's Hospital, and they couldn't stabilize her oxygen level. And I thought, something's not right here. So we shipped her out, and we found out after doing a bronchoscopy and an EGD with biopsies, Lo and behold, uh, Miss Sydney's uh, respiratory tract, the trach and the bronchial tubes were soft, which is called trachobronchomalacia. So not only this kiddo had allergies, but her trach and her bronchial tubes were soft. So, and usually if a child is born with that or a baby, an infant, they outgrow it by the time they're a year. Well, we have a child that's three and a half, and they're just now finding it. So we knew it was something she probably wasn't going to outgrow. And, her, and then her hair I'm was sorry. falling out. I'm sorry? Her hair was falling out, you've said in the past. Well, and not long after, she started vomiting. And so after noticing these repeated infections, we started, she would have these episodes of vomiting. And sometimes, give me a minute. This is the part that's hard. Scott, you there want were, to fill in? Uh, yeah, I'm still here. Okay. okay. Sorry. Uh, I get a little choked up on this part. Whew. She would a lot of times get ready for school, and she would throw up, and I'd have to call the school to let them know she's not sick, she's not running a fever, she just threw up. So I quickly got her into the pediatric gastroenterologist that studies the digestive disorders, and they did uh, an electrogastrogram, and they also did an emptying scan. And they found out that her stomach quit emptying. It didn't. It wasn't able to contract and empty out the food context contents. So what happens when she would eat? It would sit there and it would just build up, and eventually right. she would just throw it back up. Right. And she began after, shortly after losing her hair because this, these episodes became so frequent. And uh, so she was malnourished. Malnourished, definitely very pale, weight loss, and. Um, it was every night she was screaming because her stomach would hurt. Okay. And we got to the point after the testing was done, they said our doctor, um, pediatric physician that does the gastro studied, said to us that, you know, she really needs to have a tube feeding. And it was at that point where we were at, really at a crossroads. And I had been studying hyperbaric oxygen for a, gosh, a good solid year. And I happen to be on a Mito Digest, is what it's called. It's a web, a little website where people can converse about their children or loved ones with mitochondrial disease. And I put on and put on there. Has anybody done HBOT or hyperbaric oxygen? And this little lady from Tennessee named Christy emailed me, and she said, "Oh my gosh, yes!" Um, and she gave me quickly gave me her number. I got in contact with her. And she told me about her daughter, Macy, and how she was thriving and 
the things that she went from doing to now doing. And I'm like, then she quickly put me in contact with Ms. Sh- uh, Shannon. Jen, which also can we recap a little bit? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, let's recap. Before we travel to Fitchburg, Wisconsin, to the Wisconsin Hy- Integrative Hyperbaric Center, let's recap a little bit. Okay. Um, you told us about our listeners about Austin and said at 22 months old he was exhibiting or had already exhibited eosinophilic esophagitis, failure to thrive. He was pale. He had hypotonia. He had a bloated belly, gastrointestinal problems. He had suffered a regression. He had sensory integrative disorder. Um, and now, and now you have told us about Sydney, your daughter, and described how when she was three to four years old, having had developmental delays and almost graduating out of early intervention, she started having infections. She had asthma, food allergies, um, a stomach emptying problem. She wasn't getting the nutrients she needed and her hair was falling out. And by then her brother must have been about six years old. So was there something that happened, you know, in between where um, you did you take Austin and Sydney to another clinic specifically to get the diagnosis of um, mitochondrial myopathy and how does mitochondrial myopathy explain this this vast variety of symptoms that you've just told us about? Yes, we did. In fact, uh, when Austin at five developed the seizure disorder, in addition to everything else that he already had developed, the autism since the integration disorder the failure to thrive, the food allergies, you know, uh, my husband and I pretty much had to talk, and I'm like, we have to get out of here. We had been to local physicians. They did not, they literally shrugged their shoulders at us. They did not know what to do with him. Uh, we went to St. Louis Children's Hospital. We've been over in Carl Clinic, all of our surrounding areas, and we finally packed up and went to Cleveland Clinic. And at the time, Sydney was showing mild delays and asthma, but nothing significant that we would think, oh, yeah, she has mitochondrial disease or there's something more wrong here. You know, at the time, she still was thriving for the most part. She just had a few ailments, which most kids, it's not uncommon these days to hear, oh, they have allergies and they have some delays and they grow out of it. Well, we get to Cleveland Clinic, and at the time, Austin was the one that was majorly failing major, like, you know, like we had mentioned, the uh, failure to thrive, the, the mo- common allergens, the bloated stomach, uh, just, he just was, we didn't honestly know how long, much longer we would have him. That's how sick he was. Um, and when we got there, they did a bunch of tests on him, and we went back, of course, the next day, because we had to stay there for about a week in a hotel, and uh, they did a bunch of tests on him. And they came back and they said, he's got mitochondrial disease, or we suspect mitochondrial disease based off of the blood work they had done. And I'm thinking, okay. And in my nursing knowledge, all I could think was of ATP and energy. So they told us, we want you to come back and let's do a skin biopsy and do a muscle biopsy because he had markers, they're called biomarkers, that were elevated, like pyruvate levels, methaglucaconic levels were high, lactic levels were high, and so they really felt that we really needed to do a muscle biopsy. So, of course, we ended up doing a muscle biopsy. So we get all the results back, and they say to us, well, the, the blood work points in the 
points in the direction of the disease, and his skin biopsy shows abnormal mitochondria, but his muscle biopsy came back normal. So I was like, yes, we don't have mito. And doctor goes, no, unfortunately, you have like a 90% diagnosis. So you have what's called probable mitochondrial disease. Plus, can muscle biopsy sometimes be incorrect? Yes, and this is what doctor explained to me, absolutely. He said, being that he's five and he regressed later in life, and he wasn't, when he was born, he didn't start exhibiting these signs, you can actually miss miss the area in which the muscle biopsy comes back abnormal because that part of the body, the mitochondrial might have been fine. He also might have been too young, he said, to see those red ragged fibers. Okay, let's talk more about this when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Okay, we're back with Scott and Jerry Williams. Jerry Williams is a nurse, and Scott is a police officer, and they help their children, Austin, uh, their son, and their daughter, Sydney, to f- going from 
failure to thrive to thriving beyond expectations of mitochondrial myopathy and autism through using hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And before the break, Jerry, um, you were talking about having taking your children to the Cleveland Clinic, and um, Austin was diagnosed with a mitochondrial myopathy. And why don't you tell us how Sydney came to be diagnosed and what you initially were doing for that and what the doctors were telling you? Sure. Uh, doctors asked if there was a sibling, and, of course, we're like, yes, we, he has a little sister. And he said, well, you do need to bring her back. And I, and I explained to him, I'm like, well, she has some mild asthma and some and delays and some a few allergies, but nothing significant. He says, I realize, but we need to test her. So brought her back, did just the blood work with Sydney, and the blood work came back. And um, in Cleveland, the technology is very, very high-tech. So they had the results fairly quickly, and they said, actually, when the, her labs show the disease more than Austin's, although he clinically was showing more symptoms of mitochondrial disease. And I just kind of looked at him and just like, what? You know, because it, it is, it's baffling. Because even though he clinically is the one that's the sickest at this time, you would think that his labs would really show it, but it's not. That's how unique the disease is and how specific it can be. Okay. So what did they have you you use? I recall um, you're having written before that they had you use a mitococktail, and I just want to say that, you know, the um, there are children who the mitococktail helps, and um, we're not saying anything, you know, negative about um, about the medical facility or, or anything like that, but go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah, no, not at all. I'm very grateful for those physicians um, for giving me um, the diagnosis so I knew then what I was up against and what I was fighting. You know, before it was a guessing game. I'm very grateful to the Cleveland Clinic for letting me know, yeah, we're dealing with a mito disorder. Um, and they did, you're right, they did uh, go ahead and prescribe the mito cocktail. And the children both seemed to thrive on it to what, a certain what is point. It? What is the mito-cocktail? The mito-cocktail is a vitamin cocktail that consists of vitamin E, the big ones that they really focus in on, CoQ10, levocarnitine, vitamin C. So it's an array of different uh, multivitamins to help promote mitochondrial function. And some children really thrive exceptionally well, and then there's some children that don't seem to thrive at all. And they did explain that to us. Um, at first, when they first started it, both kids seemed to really thrive on it and do exceptionally well, but it got to the point where they, they continued to develop the illnesses, um, regardless of the mitococktail. And that's when we were at that crossword, uh, crossroads, and I'd been studying the hyperbarics and, again, got on the mitodigest and spoke with, um, I had a little mom, Christy, reach out to me. And she soon put me in touch with uh, Shannon, and so. Okay. So you. So first, I want to caution parents. Um, the the mito cocktail can be pretty specific, so mm-hmm. please mm-hmm. seek appropriate medical advice from a qualified practitioner. And um, what was the prognosis for your kids at this point before you got on the mito listserv? There. They pretty much said they don't have a crystal ball meaning they can't predict the future, and but their life expectancy was probably not, they probably would not live past their early adult years. Um, many kids pass 
in their teenage years. So they kind of roughly gave us between teenagers and their early 20s. Which is really hard for a parent to hear. Right. And yes. understand also back when they diagnosed our two children with us uh, that the knowledge base out there for mitochondrial disease, it was doctors were just learning about it, just trying to still understand a lot about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was, um, you know, only a few doctors at the time in the United States that even were working uh, with the disease and that were starting to understand research. Right. Okay. So at this point, you're given this ominous prognosis, just like another mom, Shannon Kennett whose uh, daughter, Gracie, uh, was failure to thrive. Um, the doctors pretty much told, you know, Shannon to go home and expect that her little girl was going, you know, to pass away. She was considered blind, et cetera. And Shannon went and drove across the country and <laughs> got her daughter hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And we all know the wonderful stories of how um, her daughter lived, her daughter took her first steps, her daughter started going to school, and so you got on that MITO listserv, and now you found Christy Hogg, and she told you about um, hi- more about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and you found the Wisconsin Integrative Hyperbaric Center and talked to Shannon Kennett. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, first of all, Christy did. She contacted me, and she definitely put me in the right direction, and literally after I spoke with Christy and then Shannon and I, she said, go on the Montel, go on there. There's a recording of the Montel Williams show. She said, Shannon's on there. And I went on there and I, I got to meet Christy and Macy in person as well. And so I, I've seen Miss Macy, Christy's daughter from the beginning and developed throughout the time that she's been doing therapies. And I literally seen the progress before my eyes and had seen Grace's progress and seeing Shannon on the Montel, and I literally, the science after that and the studies went out the door. I didn't care. I literally just go, I've got to try this. I've got to do this. There, I really, my husband and I talked about it, you know, over and over again. We did not see it not working. We just didn't know it was going to work this well. <laughs> Fantastic. Really. And, and so I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit and then backtrack. So at this point... You have you have objective laboratory results about how well both of your children are doing. You've had them uh, from time to time going going along. I'm um, and you see the clinical results in your children. Their mm-hmm. their behaviors and health manifest it um, as correlated with the objective laboratory results. But when you talk about you know you weren't paying too much mind to, you know, the science or the studies or what have you, there are actually studies that um, speak well um, for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And when you go to the Absolutely. clinic, you are seeing you are seeing a qualified physician who yes. follows your child and does the objective laboratory testing as you go along. Yes. That's Do exactly you... what happened when we went to the Wisconsin Hyperbaric Center. Um, the children continue to see Dr. Kyle Van Dyke, and he is a MD. He also is personally touched by um, our children that come into the clinic um, because he lives our life. He has, also has a child that is affected. Uh, so, you know, it, it was literally for the first time my husband and I felt like this is where we belong. 
Um, you know, often you feel isolated in situations like this, especially when you have such a unique disease or your children have such a unique disease. Excuse me. Um, so when we, you know we went there, uh, it, it, you're just surrounded with people that understand and get it, and not to mention their little kitchen with allergy-free food. I mean, it literally is a home away from home. Uh, it just and in addition to the kitchen. We should yeah, probably sure. tell listeners what hyperbaric oxygen therapy is. Hyperbaric, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, Terry. I thought you were getting ready to uh, Hyperbaric oxygen is okay. pressurized oxygen that, when it's under pressure, it allows it to get into tissues and obviously, in our case, cells and decrease inflammation. That way, in our case, especially, too, is the supplements can get in there and do their job. Because in many disease process, there's almost any disease you come across, there is a lot of inflammation, but especially with children with neurodevelopmental and metabolic conditions. So that's the easiest way to explain, um, unless you have some input, Scott, on that as well. And were you using high pressure or mild or a combination of both over time? It is mild pressure. It was considered 1.3 atmosphere pressure, and they actually use it and start out. Doctor started out at room air and gradually went up, uh, and we ended up using 100%. And we did 40 dives initially in the clinic. Okay, we're going to talk more about this when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. And I just want to give listeners one number before we go to break. I don't have the number of the Wisconsin Integrative Hyperbaric Center in my purse. I bet Jerry knows what it is, though. But I do have the California Integrative Hyperbaric Center. Uh, Their website is www.californiahyperbarics.com. I'm going to kind of guess that the Wisconsin Integrative Hyperbaric Center is www.wisconsinhyperbarics.com. And And I have a number. Okay, go ahead. One six zero eight two seven eight four two six eight. Thank you, Jerry. We'll be right back with Jerry and Scott. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to autismhopealliance.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Scott and Jerry Williams. Jerry, how did, briefly, how can mitochondrial myopathy explain that wide variety of symptoms that you told us about that Austin and Sydney had? With mitochondrial disease, there's a lack of energy being produced by the cells. And each one of the cells in your body is programmed to make the central nervous system, to give the energy for the central nervous system to work, the muscles to work, the heart, the respiratory. So depending on where that malfunctioning of energy is not being produced, will depend on which uh, organ system is not working properly or failing. And what happens is when the cells don't work properly and make the energy that it needs, the cell system backs up and the cell dies. And that is repeated over and over again. So what, ha- what ends up happening is those um, systems begin to malfunction and some shut down. And it can affect any organ or system in the body. And usually when you see three or more systems involved, meaning like the digestive system, in our children's case, their respiratory system, their muscles, their brain, the central nervous system, you suspect and should be checking into mitochondrial disease. So how would hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which put, pushes oxygen into the tissues, how would that help this? In theory, it is believed, and I truly believe, that it decreased the inflammation into the cells, allowing the children's supplements the mitococktail that they are on to get in there and restart and revamp those energy producing because there's several complex to make energy in the cell. And that's, we know, we've seen it with our own eyes. And so when you have energy production being reproduced, it regenerates these nice, good, healthy cells. And again, cells divide. So if you have a good cell, then a good, another good cell is going to divide. And that's what they're they are doing when they are um, using hyperbaric oxygen. And that's what we've seen when their systems started working again. And, and in, in specific, when did want... they start working again? When did you start to see positive changes in Austin and Sydney, and what did you see? Typically, people do not usually see it this quickly, so I want to make that very clear. But <laughs> the kids had done three dives, and Sydney, this is a child that lost her hair, was vomiting all the night, was waking up every single night, screaming and, pot and throwing up often, get out of the hyperbaric chamber and says, I'm starving, Mommy and Daddy. So we leave the clinic and find a health food store. That kid ate an entire meal. We didn't think she was ever going to stop eating. And then we were like, then she wanted her allergy-free ice cream. And I have this, I literally grabbed the camera because it was like my baby eating for the first time. Or, oh. And... I, you know, my husband and I are like, golly, do we let her eat? I mean, because usually it would come back up. She would throw it up. So <laughs> she ate and ate a whole meal. We grabbed the camera, took pictures. She slept all night. 
And it was within a week after that, it just kept getting better. And then what we've seen in our son is the seizure ceased. Wow. And and we started seeing kids that would actually argue and converse with each other and interact and the good and the bad. And we're arguing so is a good thing. We're, I'm sorry? We're arguing is a good neurotypical thing. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. neurotypical. And, it, I mean, it was just that started to continue for Austin within the first week. But Sydney responded in three treatments. Uh, it was just, I'm still pinching myself, just put it that way, because for years we've been told there's no cure. Well, They're not going to thrive. They're going to continue to get sick, and they will die. Just so see it go backwards is amazing. Oh. Amazing. I should say go forward in this case. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely thriving. Oh, my gosh. You, oh, you help and give just, kids I'm their sorry. life. You help give your kids their life back, literally. It has, yeah, absolutely. And it still has given it back. We just, the biggest things is, yeah, with Sydney is by the time we got back, we did go ahead and purchase our own home unit. Um, we ended up with the, the Terrace 320, and they continue to do treatments. And the reason we did that is because we keep seeing them improve. So obviously we wanted to keep doing the treatments. Um, and we continued them for an hour a day, Monday through Friday, with a at 1.3, which is a very mild pressure. It's like being seven or eight feet underwater. Uh, with a concentrator, which is at 93% oxygen. Um, and the children wear a mask while they're in there, and we watch movies. It, honestly, we love it because since we've been doing these treatments, they haven't had one hospitalization, wow. not one procedure. They're in school more than they are not. They're not sick all the time. And the biggest thing, you know, that first year, I have to admit, I when they would get a cold, I would embrace myself for the worst because that's what I was used to. And after I got through that first year, that's when I realized, okay, we're going to continue to go forward as long as we continue to do our treatments like doctor wants us to. Right. And so we've been doing water parks. We've been doing picnics. We've been playing outside, riding our bikes. And these these, these parents can do that before. Can do hyperbaric oxygen at home safely um, if, you know, as long as they follow all of the instructions for using the unit properly. Um, You know, with the prescription and continuing with medical oversight and testing. Is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, how are your kids now? And tell us about the most recent wonderful test results. <laughs> absolutely. When they check for mitochondrial function, one of the things that they, one of the many things they check for is pyruvate levels and lactic levels, lactic acid levels in the serum, which means the blood. And when we went to Cleveland, when they were first diagnosed, those levels were elevated, and we got them back, and they were are within normal limits. So not not only have we seen clinically their gastric emptying scan get better with Sydney, um, her lose occupational therapy because now she doesn't need it anymore, and also not need as many services, and his seizure medication is going to be discontinued next month. Wonderful. And I mean... We know at a mitochondrial level that those mitochondria now are regenerating and are function appropriately. If not, those levels would still be elevated, and they're not. And I tell you, when I got those results, I about screamed, and I thought the man, <laughs> man in the moon could have heard me that day because it is just a feeling that is indescribable to, to see. And like I said, I, we, Scott and I both still pinch ourselves because... You know, 
we were told for so long that they weren't going to be, you know, weren't going to live past their early 20s or teenage years. And to see it, it's, it's unbelievable. And now that, now that we've been seeing it, we want to pay it forward and make sure others know it's out there so they can have the same hope that we do. Because I firmly believe, and I, I don't even, fir- I not only firmly believe, I know they're going to live past their 20s. They're going to be like Macy Shea. They're going to be like Grace Kennett. They're going to thrive. Yeah. And, you know, they're here for a reason. And I think they're going to show the world that, hey, this is what needs to be more looked in. This need more needs to be done in this. Instead of just saying, hey, this is all we can give you. There's no hope, no cure. And I just feel very, very blessed, and I'm really blessed to have this opportunity to speak with you and others out there today. Well, Jerry and Scott, good for you for following your gut instincts and giving your children this chance to thrive um, along with other others like um, Shannon Kennett and her daughter Gracie and and Christy Hogg and her daughter Macy Shea um, doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, with medical oversight and taking your children from a place of failure to thrive to thriving beyond expectations, um, even with the diagnoses of mitochondrial myopathy and autism. Great job, Scott and Jerry. Thank Thank you you. for sharing all this information with our listeners today. And thank you for the opportunity to share it. And to our listeners, you can read stories like this, uh, Scott and Jerry and Austin and Sydney's story, um, along with some of their lab test progress and the story from Christy Hogg and Dr. Newbrander's article about hyperbaric oxygen therapy in the current issue of Autism Science Digest, which can be found at the Autism One website, www.autismone.org, and soon in bookstores. Don't forget to register for the National Autism Association's National Autism Conference in beautiful, relaxing Tampa, St. Pete, Florida. Please visit www.nationalautism.org. I will see you there. And thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.